Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're joined by a special guest, sci-fi aficionado, Anthony. Welcome, Anthony. Hello. Oh, not hello. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. And we've brought him in because today we're talking about Annihilation. A religious event. An extraterrestrial event. A higher dimension. We have many theories, few facts. It started around three years ago. Blackwater National Park reported that a lighthouse was surrounded by something they termed a shimmer. One of the wardens went in to investigate, never returned. The event was classified. Since then, we've approached by land, by sea, sent in drones, animals, and teams of people. But nothing comes back. This is an American sci-fi horror mystery. Directed by Alex Garland. The cast includes Queen Amidala, Romilly, Poe Dameron, Daisy Domergu, Jane the Virgin, Valkyrie, Doctor Strange's friend Wong, and Kyoko. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on physical DVD. Can you hear it? Oh, wow. That proves it to our audience that you've really got that DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, how did you watch this movie? I also watched it on YouTube. All right. Let's, before we begin our conversation on this movie, let's recap the events in our own uh, handcrafted synopsis written by Joey. Joey, go ahead. Something mysterious has crash-landed in an undisclosed area of the southern United States. Three years later, the only thing we know is that its area of effect is slowly growing. No person who has entered the area called the Shimmer has ever returned, that is, until now. Lena, a biologist with an army background, entered the Shimmer after her husband, Kane, became the first person to enter the Shimmer and return, but when he came back a year after entering, he wasn't himself. He had been changed in some inexplicable way. Lena enters the Shimmer with four other women, all scientists with different backgrounds. Their goal is to reach the source of the Shimmer, a lighthouse where the mysterious object landed three years ago. As soon as they enter, the entire group becomes disoriented. They lose three days, and although they remember preparing to enter the Shimmer, they can't recall actually entering it or how they ended up where they were, or even pitching their tents. Communications cannot leave the Shimmer, and they are forced to use the sun to orient themselves. As they travel, they see incredible things. The swampland has been transformed into a lush jungle. The plants are sprouting flowers of all shapes and sizes, even mixtures of different species growing from the same plant. The group encounters a crocodile that has shark-like teeth. Clearly, something is changing the flora and fauna in the Shimmer and causing them to mutate like crazy. The five women reach an abandoned building that was used by the last group to enter the Shimmer. Inside, they find a video of Lena's husband, Kane, cutting another man's stomach open to reveal his insides are writhing and moving on their own. That night, a bear attacks and drags one of the team members into the woods. They press onward and find a small town that had been evacuated before the Shimmer had consumed it. During the night, one of the team members breaks from the stress and ties everyone up, hoping to take control of the situation. The bear shows up and mauls her to death, and the rest of the team shoots it. 
In the morning, the remaining women split from Lena. One heads to the lighthouse, the other to become part of the Shimmer. All have come to accept that they have been permanently and physically changed by whatever this mysterious force is. Lena continues to the coast and then the lighthouse, passing by more incredible wonders created by the Shimmer. In the lighthouse, she finds another video of her husband. This time, he blows himself up with the grenade before a copy of him appears in frame. Under the lighthouse, Lena finds the only remaining member of her team. The team member informs Lena that this thing is truly alien before giving herself to it. The alien thing draws blood from Lena and takes a humanoid form. Lena and it face off, with the thing mimicking all of Lena's movements. Lena hands it a grenade and watches it light itself on fire. The fire becomes part of its being, and all parts of it start to collapse. The lighthouse burns, as do all the things that grew from it. Lena relays her story to a group of hazmat suit-wearing guys before being reunited with her husband. She acknowledges that he is not really her husband, and when he asks if she is really herself, she does not reply. The movie ends with close-ups of both characters' pupils, which are slowly shifting colors. The end. So those are the events of Annihilation. We'll begin our analysis with the pros and the cons. Anthony, what did you like about Annihilation? I have four big pros. Um, I think this movie is beautiful, terrifying. I love the foreshadowing, and I love the soundtrack. Um, part, some examples for how beautiful it is is a lot of the accents within the Shimmer are rainbows. Like You see rainbows over the sand, over the swamp. Anytime like stuff is flickering in the background, you see rainbows shooting off. It, I mean, it's truly beautiful. Um, I mean, it, and the, the level of detail that they go into in, in the mixtures of some of the DNA and stuff, like the trees on the beach are all made of glass. Um, it's just, again, just truly beautiful. And it's also terrifying. It's, it's as equally cool as it is to look at. It's, you want to look away because it's so scary. Like, I mean, uh, the biggest one, like almost the climax, I mean, the midpoint of the film is the bear scene which is oh my god dude i like i'm getting chills thinking about it now <laughs> but i was like you you're, it's those scenes where you're hiding behind a pillow and and you can't look away but you, like it's so scary um the cam recording is another really amazing scene where there's sh- like it's showing kane like cutting into a soldier who's you know I guess he pulled the short straw or whatever, but they were like looking at his insides because his like organs are moving around and it's like, it's so scary and, and terrifying to look at. Um, the amount of foreshadowing in this film is, is jarring. Um, there's, there's plenty of scenes, a couple good examples. Um, there's a glass of water shot that happens as soon as Kane gets back uh, to the house in the beginning of the film where he puts his glass down and his hand is on the opposite side of the glass from the camera. And in that shot, through the water, his hand is backwards. So you know that it's like not actually him or mm. you know something's wrong. And, um, and that same shot is actually used at the end of the film with, with Lena herself when, when she has the glass of water. And it's, the, it's that exact same shot. Yeah, well, and, and to go off of that, Lena sits down in front of him and she puts her hands in his hands and you see them both become, you know, blended together yeah. through the glass, which, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> heavy foreshadowing. Cool. Um, and then uh, another really cool foreshadowing shot, which is right right before the climax when she's walking on the beach um on the sand because the the sand is wet from the waves you can see a full reflection of her uh underneath herself 
right? It's like her shadow duplicate form. Um, wow. And, and then the soundtrack is amazing. I mean, it's so sci-fi sounding, but like, especially in the climax, the, the, the loud bass and like that, like shakes you to your core. And it's like the sounds of alien or whatever it is, is, is just amazing. Oh man, hundred percent agree. Um, so for me, it's, it is the incredible visuals, just like you said, a mind bending story that really engages you. Um, it's really the real depth to its ideas that are based in complicated scientific concepts, which is really impressive stuff. It's truly horrifying. Absolutely. Both visually and like conceptually, uh, that bear scene is something that really stands out to me. as something that's going to haunt me. Probably. I, I remember it very clearly ever since I saw it in theaters the first time. Um, it's not just a scary image. It's something so, it just sticks in your brain. It's just creepy to think about. It's so rare to have something do that so well um, in, in both those aspects. Um, it's distinct, it's distinct, well-supported uh, acting from all of our leading actors. I feel like everybody holds their own and, and like holds the weight of this movie equally. I think, you know, Natalie Portman does a lot of that heavy lifting, but Every member of the team has their own emotional arc that they go through, and um, it's really well supported by the acting. What about you, Benjamin? I uh, echo everything you guys have said. Great acting from a great cast, spectacular special effects, um, good music, and good repetition of the music. It's used Leap throughout. Motifs. Yes. We love leitmotifs on this podcast, and it was uh, uh, well executed in this movie. Again, I'll echo, this movie is freaky and horrifying. I think that there are some movies that are considered sci-fi thrillers. I would put this one firmly in the sci-fi horror category. It's that scary. Uh, you know, but, you know, viewers beware. And finally, I think this one thing I like about this movie is it respects its audience. It makes you think, and it clearly uh, expects you to have the capacity for thinking. So I, I really do appreciate that when a movie respects its audience. Um, so those are the pros. Let's move on to our cons. Anthony, uh, what did you not like about Annihilation? Um, it definitely needs more from Oscar Isaac. I feel like this movie doesn't ask enough of his character. Um, I, I, I love him. I, I think he does great in this, in his role, but I just wish there was more. Um, especially because like we've already harped on in the pros that, um, you know, the, the acting from the four leading women is amazing they're they're all really great and i just wish there was more of him does he have a southern accent in this movie i think he does it's uh, hard it's like that's the thing he's so he's not even in the movie enough for you to know right because <laughs> yeah his flashback scenes he definitely has um that southern twang to it to his his voice could it be um, possible that yeah. his uh his like clone took on a southern accent of a different soldier who is like straight out of mississippi that, that's actually that's totally true like especially at the end in that cam recording um he definitely has way more southern twang than he does throughout the film so oh, wow. maybe so that's that's a good point i like that because they uh, were in there a lot longer than the other characters right oh yeah um okay so this is kind of a complicated con but uh i think the vagary that this movie leaves you with um, it leads to a lot of interesting discussions, but it also can uh, let people believe that it's incomplete or nonsensical. And it, there's a lot of like kind of nagging consistency questions about, oh, like 
what is the literal thing that's happening with the shimmer? Like, is it like, what does the fraction mean in terms of physics and like uh, your mind or whatever? Like they just kind of throw that out there. Is that really something that's happening? I think this movie wants it to be, wants you to view it very metaphorically. Um, and there's a bunch of scenes that support that, especially when you're asking Lena technical questions and she just says, I don't know, because again, it's not really important. It's important is kind of the overall metaphor. But when you have a movie like this, that's very sci-fi and like engaging with its audience in this kind of uh, unique alien perspective, I think it opens the door for people to say, this movie is stupid because it doesn't wrap up in, in the end perfectly, um, which I disagree with that take, but it leaving that door open um can make it hard to argue how why this movie is good yeah i agree like it's so open for interpretation one interpretation could be that it just it isn't it isn't complete right um, so i uh but i also feel like looking at that is like because it's so ambiguous that it leads you can complete it yourself which would make it for your own perspective that it is complete and you know whatever it's all in the eyes of the beholder um which is why I'm, I'm using that to lead into my own cons which i feel like this movie accomplishes what it tries to accomplish um and i'm satisfied with it so i don't have too much to criticize but i will say um the alien figure at the end and i'm talking about the kind of the silver gray uh bipedal creature that mirrors the actions of lena that has already started to look bad, in my opinion, the special effects used for that particular character, which really stands out among an otherwise spectacular-looking movie. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly what they could have done to improve that, but this movie's only a few years old, and that has already started to age in my eyes. Um, so that's that's my big con for this movie. But okay. Is it the way is it the way that it looks or like the way it moves? What what is specifically It doesn't it? look real to me. It looks computer right. animated. And uh which is just frustrating because again, I know the bear's computer animated, but it looked it certainly looked real. And the crocodile's computer animated, and it certainly looked real. And maybe that's just the price you pay when you make a chrome character, but it yeah. just to me I, I felt like it was an odd choice because it looked so fake in a movie where otherwise everything looks so real. So, um, but let's, uh, let's move on to our overall section and we have some questions for our guest, Joey, uh, you can go first. Uh, so why did you pick this movie, uh, Anthony? So, uh, sci-fi is definitely my favorite genre of at least film right now. Like, um, you know, I'm kind of on a, lately. I've been on a sci-fi bender. Uh, specifically, I, I the Mass Effect Legendary Edition just came out. I don't know if you guys ever played that, but it's I played a little bit of Mass Effect. It it is an amazing story that you can get like crazy into. I, you know, I pl I played all three games. Um, you know, I I put about 90 hours of my life into it that I'm not going to get back, but it's <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, I'm I like I'm I started reading um. The, uh, the expanse series so like i'm trying to you know diverge out into some books but this is probably my favorite sci-fi movie that i've seen recently um like in the past couple years it's not my favorite all-time sci-fi movie but you guys have actually already discussed my favorite um which is arrival but th this is a really good one too i, I love this movie um and i think that sci-fi does something that not a lot of other movies can explore so alex garland has been quoted saying that science fiction is perhaps the best genre to openly explore fundamental ideas of existence. And this movie does that to a T, um, you know, talking about, you know, the, the way the cell works and, and how he, 
composes that into the story itself. Oh yeah. Um, and another thing, and, and I Ben, I know that this is the look of the alien was a con for you, but you know, another to quote Alex Garland again, uh, when we deal with aliens, we often make them like us in some way. Maybe they want to eat us or maybe they want our water or our resources. Uh, but these are all sort of human concerns. Humans are motivated by things and we have agendas and an alien might not have an agenda or it might not be motivated. And so annihilation is this opportunity to create an alien that's truly alien. So while the alien might not look real to you, it could be something that you can't even conceptualize, you know? So uh, I just think this movie t- hits all those bases and, um, and it's a home run. Um, yeah, I, it's so interesting. You, the couple of things you've mentioned here. So Ted Chang, who wrote uh, story of your life and others, which is a short story that arrival is based on. He had this, uh, um, he did an interview with Ezra Klein and the Ezra Klein show a couple of months ago. And he talked about speculative fiction specifically. It's like sci-fi spe- spe- speculative and fantastical fiction. And he says that there's a sliding scale of, um, on, on speculative fiction of literal to like metaphorical and every sci-fi fits somewhere in there where it's some sci-fi stories are very literal like oh what if we had this technology what would be the repercussions of it and some of it's very metaphorical where you say oh what is the um you know this is just an exaggeration of something that exists right now how are we going to deal with that and i think sci-fi is best when it does both those things when it explores new technology and when it also goes into like uh, social psychology and talks about how our brains and how our actions can perpetuate something into the future. Um, there's so many good examples of that. The Foundation series by Isaac Asimov is an awesome example of that. Um, so yeah, I feel like Annihilation fits into that really well. And I think whenever I watch something like this, I always think about what is not changed because that is what the author think is, thinks is true, right? They think this this alien here always wants to grow, and that is something that's always true about every type of alien. And so taking away, like you say, the things that are different are the alien parts, but the things that are the same are universally true about all life in the universe. And that's what Alex Garland is saying about these aliens here. So I think it's a really interesting uh, way to approach the story, for sure, to make it so metaphorical, but also to bring in this idea of like, a very alien alien, especially since a lot of interpretations I've seen in this movie is that it's not really an alien. It's actually something we're very familiar with, um, something like pain or cancer. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a, a fascinating for sure. Um, so, okay, what, does, what about this movie speaks to you personally? Um, unless there's any, unless you wanted to expand on that at all. Uh, I, th- I think I might be okay. One, one thing that I do want to hit on, though, Joey, is... is um... You know, one thing that I that I tend to think about a lot, especially during sci-fi movies, is like, what if I was in this situation? You know, yes. like it, it's kind of like that that like like if you see like a broken bone or something, and you imagine that it's your own broken bone, and it's like, dude, what if you like look at your like what if you look at your hands and you don't recognize your own hands, and it's horrifying. And and, <laughs> and this and again, like this movie just it, it just finds that medium to 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 portray this idea um and it like you can you really get in it you know yeah it's just it's amazing all right anthony big question here what happens at the end i love this this is a great tip <laughs> um so i so joey you did say that like the end is kind of 
right all over the place and that and not having a concrete ending is could be bad could be seen as bad um but then ben you also said that you know you can kind of have your own spiel and and complete the pieces yourself i love the idea that it's an open puzzle um and you kind of think what you think is going to happen um one of the things you know i was going to reference this later but i'll just reference it now um you know alex garland originally intended the movie to end with you not knowing which lena leaves the lighthouse Hmm. and i think that that obviously makes it more ambiguous like what who who leaves whatever but i honestly don't think it matters in the end um i think that at the end they're different no matter what you're you're going to be changing you know whatever And, and you know there's even the chance that the alien itself the duplicate might not change as much as lena does at the end you know so I think bottom line what happens at the end is that they're both trapped in that military facility forever and there's no escape. <laughs> right, forever. Yeah. Um, um, so, I mean... Wait, wait, wait. So, just... so, hold on. Because who in the military base knows that they are fundamentally changed in this way? Nobody's made it out of the Shimmer before. Just them. So, they appear to be normal. Lena thought that this was... Well, she could tell Kane was different. She was like, this is my husband. Um, which, by the way, her reaction to seeing her husband, who's been dead come back that was oh my gosh breathtaking acting like natalie portman bravo (laughs) but who i I actually don't think that i think that they can return to society after this and figure it out uh because i totally agree again with what you said it doesn't matter which lena comes back because neither of them is the lena that entered right now nobody knows that that's something that happens in there unless Lena. well i guess she did talk about it but i mean i think it, it's all going to come down to like like they literally just need to take a blood sample and realize that shit is fucked up right like she looked at her own blood halfway through the movie and it was like duplicating these weird cells right her red blood cells were splitting or whatever right so like you know any other scientist in the movie could do the same thing and be like Okay, we can't let you out. Well, our, okay, because what happened to Kane as soon as the shimmer fell away or you know melted away or just dissipated, he his, his conditions returned, right? stabilized. Yeah. So may, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can see it in their eyes, but I don't know what else is still happening in them or what stopped happening. Right, like maybe if the, the shimmer if the, went away. Yeah, if the shimmer's gone are they still changing? Are they still like mutating? Cause their eyes do change color, but is that more so just how it is now? You know how people have two different eye colors. Maybe they're just eyes change as they want. Well, it to. and another thing is that Lena's eyes, uh, change color throughout the movie, even before she enters the shimmer. Ju- That's when true. You, when she looks at the shimmer for the first time, yeah. you can see it filling her eyes and her pupils are very clearly a different color. So again, it, I think that the shimmer in her eyes is supposed to be kind of subtle in the end. Like you're supposed to notice it, obviously, but it's also not, it's it's kind of like the spinning top at the end of Inception where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not so sure what I'm, what I'm yeah. seeing here. Um, I mean, I guess if we're trying to make the argument that are they leaving the base or not, maybe that doesn't matter. It's like, what is going to happen to them moving on? Do they continue yeah, so, to change? Well, are they still a couple, right? So Kane clearly was devastated by Lena's portrayal and that sent him into the shimmer, at least, you know, partly, um, it seemed like he was already going to go there, but then he kind of got accelerated. Um, and then he didn't stop himself from going in. Obviously he, he probably could have said no, and but he ended up wanting to go in despite the risks that were apparent to him 
the same ones that are apparent to Lena. Um, so when he comes out and he's clearly different, you know, what does it, what exactly does he remember? And is he willing to give this relationship another shot? Lena seems like she's so relieved that he's back that she's, you know, willing to welcome him back. But is Kane necessarily? Uh, and like, why would he be? You know, if this is if this is the same Kane, or at least the Kane with the same memories, why would he want to bring Lena back unless she is also fundamentally changed um, and become someone who wouldn't cheat on him anymore because she saw how horrible her life was or how sad she was without him? Or potentially, she's no longer the Lena that cheated on him. <laughs> right. right, that was somebody else. No forgiveness needed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's move to the next question, though. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about the how ambiguous the ending is here, Anthony. Do you think that there's one intended way to interpret this movie? No, no way. It's it's left open for a reason, right? It's like if and like I said before, it could have been more ambiguous. So you, it really is all over the place. I I love the idea that it's like you as the viewer get to kind of decide what you think the ending should be. And that like makes it even more personal, right? That's what makes this movie even better. I I really appreciate that answer because this is the type of movie a long time ago, way years ago, before I was, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, had a movie podcast, I would watch a movie like this and I would get frustrated because I wouldn't know what the ending is. And then I would feel like there are people out there who are like, you didn't understand Annihilation? Well, I know the factual answer to the movie. And if you didn't come to that conclusion, well, then you're bad at doing the calculus. Like, you can't do the math. And and if you are there, factually a moron. But no, I, I think that a lot of times, this is more broadly true, I think, about media in general, um, but also, like, specifically Annihilation. If you can find the meaning, if you can connect the dots, then that's the meaning, um, which I think is, you know, really encourages you to think about it long after the movie is 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 over right and it makes it really good for discussion because it reveals more about the people that you're with than it is even in the movie itself uh because of what you notice what you pick out and what you uh it was important to you totally so yeah i i appreciate that answer and I, and I agree with you i think there are more than one way to interpret this movie okay so moving off of that anthony so what what do you feel like is the overarching theme of this movie. What, what exactly stands out to you about Annihilation? So I think that there are actually three constant themes that are cycling throughout this movie, and it's throughout the entirety of it. Um, it's self-destruction, mutation, and duplication. I think this movie actually does an amazing job translating these into narrative elements. It, it expresses those elements through the characters, the environment, and the monsters that inhabit them. And I think the most important aspect of this movie is when these elements come to fruition, it does create that truly alien experience, something that you've never seen before. Definitely. I mean, you're definitely in an unfamiliar environment. Yeah, yeah. this is something that Lessons from a Screenplay talks about, too, about those three themes, self-destruction, mutation, duplication. It's such a... Um, it, it, and what I think is really what stands out to me about this is what you were much talking about earlier, which is that this is a... These are scientific ideas that have been expanded on into something more um i don't know more human in a way like something that's uh being interpreted into like a human element um it's taking these scientific concepts and then turning them into almost psychological concepts yeah well it's it's that thing it's something scientific something tangible and 
and turning it into something emotional that you can really connect with. Like, you know, people might not be scientists, but you have feelings, yeah. right? So it's, it's something that you can relate with. That's something that Ted Chang does incredibly well with his, his work. He has a, he has a, um, a bunch of short stories and uh, stories of your life and another one called Excitation. Um, and all of them are based on simple or somewhat complex uh, scientific ideas. And he expands them into fully formed uh, like stories. Uh, the thing that he branches off of to make Story of Your Life, which is what um, Arrival is based off of, is Fermat's Last Theorem, or not Fermat's Last Theorem. One of, uh, one of Fermat's theorems, Fermat's Theorem of Least Time is what it is. It's the idea that uh, light, uh, when it travels through a medium, picks the shortest route, always, as if it knows where it's supposed to end up before it gets there, uh, which is a kind of a theme of Arrival, is that time is not as you interpret it. Um, yeah. And I think this movie does that exact thing where it takes the scientific idea and expand it into kind of a fully formed I like idea, but also story so that you can more tangibly understand it um, in such a, an amazing way. Okay. So to expand on this more, what are yes. some scenes from the movie specifically that really support this, this, this theory of yours? All right. So there, I mean, they're everywhere. Um, but right at the beginning of the movie, Lisa, uh, Lisa, Right at the beginning of the movie, Lena is giving a lesson to her students on biology. She's showing a cancer cell, and it's a cancer cell is, is a cell that is mutated. Oh, it's from... not just a cancer cell, though. It's a cell from the cervix, which is part of the uterus. So, again, it's the irony of creation causing destruction. Oh, man. Fucking <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Science major Joey. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's a cancer cell, and it's... Right, and it's duplicating at a rate that may end in a host's own self-destruction, playing back on creation, destruction, everything. Um, and Annihilation undoubtedly uh, has more evidence supporting these these themes. All four characters are used to express that theme of self-destruction. Uh, Anya's an addict. Josie cuts herself. Shepard lost a child. Ventress has cancer, and Lena volunteers as a way to right the wrongs that she's done to destroy her own relationship. And in fact, those actions directly cause Kane to enter the shimmer that ends in his own self-destruction. Um, well, the environment... if I can cut in really quick, like, I, yes, I really liked, of those examples, I really appreciated Shepard's. I, I thought that was a creative way to tie in this whole uh, tr like mutation, transformation kind of thing, uh, because she was this happy mother um and then she uh her daughter dies and she talks about how there were two bereavements one for her daughter and one for the person she used to be which i is, have that quote if you want me to play it, 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 it go ahead <laughs> in a way it's two bereavements my beautiful girl and the person i once was hey hey which is uh First off, incredibly sad, uh, but also it, it, feel, it really fits with the themes of this film because uh, even though there was no sci-fi uh, horrific mutation that actually happened to Shepard, she did become a different person by going through this uh, situation. I mean, she didn't literally die and become a new person, but that fits right along with the, what's going on in The Shimmer. Yeah. Um Oh, but that she kind of does, though. She does <laughs> mutate in this movie um, because she eventually fuses with the bear. And that that's a whole uh, well, okay. tangent she that, didn't I, that I'll go on. She literally later. mutate when her daughter died. But yes, you're right. Like, yes, I, yes. <laughs> she, she does. Inside the Shimmer, she does have a, a physical mutation. I'll get on that part later. Um, 
so the 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 shimmer does uh express that theme of mutation um as it's literally a place of constant mutation uh, the sh the shimmer is they stated as a prism that refracts all light waves radio signals dna even memories inside of it uh, forcing the plants animals humans to form new cells and while it can be seemingly beautiful it's inherently malignant by nature uh, lena even says that directly when referring to the plants at that military base and the shimmer doesn't have any exact timeline of mutation uh, what takes some years others it can happen in minutes for instance shepherd's last moments are spent being viciously murdered by a bear and her dna voice and perhaps her final memories are bonded with this creature um, and now as we all know that the shimmer doesn't just mutate what's inside of it but it duplicates those things as well this can be seen as the deer in the forest the cane that comes back to lena at the beginning the alien that duplicates Lena in the climax, and my personal favorite, the home that they take refuge in within the Shimmer, uh, which is a duplicate of Lena's own home. Oh, really? Oh, my yeah. gosh. So That's really the, cool. <laughs> the idea, one thing that I love about this movie, and it's something I didn't pick up on until my second viewing, which I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters when it came out originally, but um, memories can also be refracted inside of the Shimmer. So... Uh, it's so interesting like i mean that's why i think that kane ends up having that southern twang is he's not kane anymore he's a combination of all the marines that went inside and the same goes for lena it's all these combinations of people but if the memories are being refracted through people it means they're being refracted through the the environment which the house would be mutated right the wood the the cells inside of this house uh, are going to be fused into something different and this goes into a whole nother tangent that I love about this movie, which is that <laughs> this is all from the eyes of Lena. It's all of it's all a story told through her eyes. Is she lying to us as viewers? Is she telling the right story? Like, like, what do we know is true? And 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 it plays into that whole fact that me as a viewer gets to decide what's right. It's a it's almost a refraction of my own memories yeah. being forced on, into this film. So, I mean, everything about this movie is just is just this interconnecting spider web of new things that you can come up with. Yeah, no, I totally I love that. And it makes sense that they would do something like that. I mean, they give us so much of Lena's home when we first are introduced to her house. There's many still shots which establish this feeling of emptiness where there's nobody in this home it just feels eternally still you can almost feel the absence of someone who was once here and uh i'm sure that th you can see those same rooms inside of the house um yeah if you're well, paying she, close enough attention she's in the in the beginning of the movie she's sitting in a chair just weeping over the loss of kane something that she can't get over and eventually she's sitting in a chair weeping because a bear is about to murder them you know it's it's just it all plays back and forth you and you can tell when she enters the home that she's like what the hell you know like she she has this look that i've seen this place before why am i seeing it now but inside the shimmer right like time is all jacked up they don't know where and when they are so you know, like this could just be the projections of her own memories. The house might actually not be a, a literal reflection, but for her, it might be. Right. Well, as soon as you as soon as they enter the shimmer, they immediately lose track of time, right? And they immediately stop like 
functioning normally. And there are certain moments, I mean, every time you see them, they appear lucid. They appear like everything's going on, but it's those moments in between that you don't see that just suddenly, like, it, anything could happen. And near the end, it starts to get, you know, you see Lena on the beach and her in the woods and stuff. Stuff really starts to get kind of cut together where you're like, oh, there's only a couple of moments where she seems like she's fully aware of what's going on. Um, and maybe she's getting even more lost into it. But there, there's that scene where, uh, where Oscar Isaac, where Kane shows up at, in the house, right? And she asks him where he was and what's the last thing he remembers. And the last thing he remembers is being at the foot of the stairs, being in the house. That's the moment that you, the viewer, see him. It's almost as if everything you see on screen is the only things they can remember. Um, and everything else is something Something else happened. Uh, the shimmer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's like <laughs> also frustrating, but also really cool to think that, uh, I mean, you have to feel like the way that the story is told through a uh recollection from lena being told to wong from uh dr strange's like house uh she is only saying what she her perception was and we already know that's not reliable so um yeah that's that's really that adds another layer of complexity Uh, what do you feel like the meaning of the flashbacks is in this movie there's a lot of flashbacks a lot of non-linear storytelling um so what what do you th- feel like was the intention of that anthony uh well so i prefer more of that non-linear flashback storytelling because again i like it to be more of a puzzle that you've like figure the pieces out but i mean the very literal flashbacks of like her and kane and her and oh i'm blanking on the professor's dan. name dan her and dan is i mean it's her cheating Dr. dan it's her cheating on Kane with Dan, which leads to Kane entering the shimmer like that, that action and ultimately ended in both of them being different by the end of the movie. Um, but like I said before, technically the whole movie is a flashback, right? Like the, the, the movie is really the whole thing's le- a flashback. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the a flashback. Um, uh, it's all total. It's all Lena telling the story of what happened inside the shimmer. Like, retelling right. those events um so the like technically those flashbacks are flashbacks within <laughs> flashbacks yeah it's like it's really apparent to me when a movie or a television show does a, like a good job with memory and talks about like how mem how memory works because you don't think linearly and you don't remember things exactly the way they happened or um when like exactly all the context that happens my favorite part of the flashbacks that are are in this movie is there's that one scene where she's like rolling around with Kane on the bed and they're like tickling each other and having a great time and she's thinking about that while she's sitting in the couch and she's thinking this is the last time that I saw or one of the last times that I saw him you know one of the last times we were ever happy later she revisits that same scene but with more context she adds a little bit there's a little bit more in there and now she's trying to restrain herself to remember what what did he say why did he leave exactly what was he doing because that moment she's trying to remember why he went into the shimmer in the first place or what it was or did he say anything about this mission so it's that same sequence of events but now strung together with a little bit more context because it's a little bit more relevant to her in that moment because she remembers it a little more clearly those things are the ones that stand out to her um it's just that's really awesome to the way that they play with this idea one uh one thing that i want to touch on that with you joey is that like i don't necessarily because right because time is all there's not really an exact timeline of what's going on 
I, I like to th- like to think, and again, it's just us filling in the pieces ourselves. But I, I like to think that when she's having these flashbacks inside of the Shimmer, if they have Kane in it, it's not her memories; it's Kane's memories being refracted into her. That's why she's having these moments of clarity where she's mm. like, "Oh, I forgot about this," because she's slowly losing herself inside inside the Shimmer. Uh, you think a piece of Kane is still there? Or yeah, like- it's it's still because he's always going to be a part of the Shimmer, right? Because right. he's been refracted in there for. A year. Yeah. I uh, I also think that it's just done really well. The order of revealing things through flashbacks that um, builds up this, uh, like basically revealing the way that um, we find out that Kane went into the uh, Shimmer because he found out that Lena was cheating on him because you find out that she is having sex with some other guy, but it's like, is this after Kane was gone? Is this like the grieving widow or whatever of the soldier? But then right. you're like, no, yeah, she's and, just and- evil. I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause she's, she's the only one that doesn't have that self-destructive tendency, except for the idea that she feels the need to save Kane, which is more noble than anything um well i don't know because the that's what ventures hints at is that it's destabilizing the good marriage or whatever right or or whatever she says yes it's a, you know, she well, it and that's it, apparent from the way that lena acts right she's full clearly full of regret uh after mm-hmm. sleeping with dan and maybe this is you know they kind of hint that this is not the first time this has happened or anything but she eventually breaks it off and she's like she's sort of horrified and disgusted with herself that she went to that length and i think it's because of that self-destruction i think that she felt that urge to sort of ruin something that was going well uh for the same reason that anybody in this story sort of self-destructs and she's still feeling the repercussions of that a year later and that's what ultimately sends her into the shimmer is like I, I like I still whatever i was chasing by like ruining my marriage i still haven't gotten yet and i'm still I still feel this need to punish myself for something. And at this point, it's, you know, she's making it up that it's the, the uh, whatever it was, the, the affair. But in the first place, it could be anything. It could just be that primal urge that they, they hint at throughout the movie. A, uh, an, an impulse, if you will. That's right. Thank you. Why did my husband volunteer for a suicide mission? Is that what you think we're doing? Committing suicide. You must have profiled him. You must have assessed him. He must have said something. So you're asking me as a psychologist? Yeah. Then as a psychologist, I'd say you're confusing suicide with self-destruction. Almost none of us commit suicide. And almost all of us self-destruct. In some way, in some part of our lives. We drink, or we smoke. Destabilize the good job, the happy marriage. But these aren't decisions, they're, they're impulses. In fact, probably better equipped to explain this than I am. What does that mean? You're a biologist. Isn't self-destruction coded into us, programmed into each cell? I, I love the way that she delivers these oh lines. Oh my god. Jennifer yeah. Jason Lee is so good in this movie. She's so cold and like 
uh, she's supposed to be a psychologist. She's supposed to be like someone that understands feelings, but it's like from a very scientific level, yeah, right? She, <laughs> she's just like, she's always like watching you from behind like a glass or something. Like you're an animal in a zoo. She understands yeah. your emotions, but delivers her analysis. Has no emotions of herself. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. I love, I love Ventress's arc too. She's just quested for death. Yes. You know? yeah. Well, it's amazing. I, I want to say, just I want to specifically point out in this line the way that she says, you know, you destabilize the good job. Long pause. The happy marriage. Long pause. <laughs> Eye contact. <laughs> and then yeah, she, she, later, knows. she knows. Later she goes, and then she goes. You would be the expert on this. And she's like, what does that mean? <laughs> Being a biologist, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's not. She, uh, oh, but yeah, funny. right. Because she knows the, uh, like, the psychological breakdown of Kane. Like, it's, to her, it's so obvious that he's leaving her because she cheated on him. Yeah, yeah. and, he, and she, it's obvious to her that Lena knows that, too. Yeah, right, right. Oh, so man. do you think this is true? Do you think do we have an impulse toward self-destruction? I think so, man. Self-harm is fun. Like, like, uh, <laughs> that's dark. Um, that like, is dark. Like, I don't know, like, uh, like people like to pop their own pimples. People like to, uh, like bite their nails, stuff like that. Like it's could be very simplistic to, right. you know, very dark places too. So no, definitely. I mean, you get, you ever get that feeling that you want to drive off a cliff or something? He's like, Oh, I could just steer yeah. it off to the cliff. Whatever. Standing next to a ledge. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, Hmm, what if I what if you jump? What okay, jump? okay. I agree with that. <laughs> and maybe if you want to stop at calling it an impulse, then I can agree with you. But I feel okay. like this movie takes it further than that. I think this movie is making the argument that all of us have a self-destructive impulse that like, no matter what you do, you will eventually fuck up and ruin your own life. And I, I, don't, I definitely don't agree with that. I mean, I, maybe I'm coping and maybe I'm just like trying to, like, desperately to be an optimist, but I think that goes too far for me to agree with. I mean, maybe these people all have done that, but... <laughs> but I, not me. I, yeah. well, I think, I think, I think everyone does that. Yeah. Ultimately, this is just Ventress's take, right? And she's literally going to die of cancer. So like her outlook on life is going to be 100% different than someone like us who don't have cancer. So I think that her quest for death, right, is that gives her that viewpoint where like everything is is bullshit, you know? Right. Well, and I, I guess, mean, yeah, go ahead. It's it's more than just like one impulse, right? It's a, it's a series over the course of your life and they can take very different turns. What some of them will be, you know, will kill you and some of them are like oh, you know, now I have a bad day or like, you know, I drove like uh, too far without changing my oil or something, you know, and now my, I have to get my car taken care of, which is annoying, but not like life-threatening. So I feel like it's, it's one of those things where I feel like we have that impulse, right? The reason why people drink alcohol or do drugs, right, is to um, kind of de like, you know, self-destruct a little bit, you know, try to almost kind of kill yourself a little bit, right? Honest poison, you might say. <laughs> yeah, let's drink this poison. Yeah, ever fun. had good poison before? <laughs> you, you, but you could also make the argument that those people are just being hedonistic or those people are just engaging in escapism. Like, I, I don't know if it's necessarily they're like, I'm doing this because I know it harms me. Well, that's the thing is that you don't know why you do things, you know? And this is something that is hard for people to recognize is that you make up reasons why you do things. You don't actually know why you do anything. You think you know. You can say, oh, I did this because my mother didn't love me enough as a child. But that might not be true. It might just be that you have some sort of innate self-destructive uh, gene or 
uh, behavior that's built into being a human being and you're assigning meaning to that thing. But the truth is you may never know why you do the things you do. Yeah, you might not have free will. You might just be programmed to do what you're all supposed right, to do. All right, let's try to keep this yep. conversation <laughs> contained. Um, no, I, I, I guess I, I like this idea of having the impulse, but I don't know if I agree with how far this movie takes it. Um, maybe you do have the urge you're standing at on a cliff and you're like, oh, man, I need to back up I a think- little bit because I just felt the urge to jump. But I don't think everybody destroys their own life at their at, at the hands of their own, uh, like th- th- that they no. all want to destroy their own life. And I don't not think that's what the- it's saying. I think it's not, saying that we all have that impulse and some of us succumb to it. Yeah. It's okay. also, and I can agree I with that. I don't think it ever is, like Joey said before, with the intent of actual self-harm, right? Like, you're never, like, usually going into something saying, oh, yes, this alcohol tastes like death. You know? Like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's just, like, a little more, I don't know. Yeah, but you do it knowingly. That. That's the thing, right? Right? That's why the same reason why you drink alcohol is the same reason they step into the shimmer in, in a way, right? It's like, like, you know, this is going to be bad for you. Like, you, you know, this is poison, but you're going to do it True. anyway. Yeah. Ventress just wants to know. She doesn't care. She, like, right. again, she's on her quest for death. She's going to die sitting in that lab. Might as well go see what is causing this and, and see the end. Okay. So I have, I have something about the characters. You want to move to that, to that now? Yes. Okay, so I think the characters are really well done in this movie. Um, so e- each woman has, uh, wants to enter the Shimmer and has some reason to embark on a self-destructive quest. But each woman's reasons are completely different. Lena's is probably the hardest to understand, but ultimately it's all laid bare eventually. Um, this adds a real humanity to the story and lets us see ourselves in these characters. The whole premise is wild and fantastical, but having these women here helps lead the audience in. And you start to, ask, and I start to ask myself, why would I go into the shimmer, and what would I do while I'm there? The fact that all, all, the fact that they all find reasons to go inside, and they all go voluntarily, reinforces that the shimmer in the whole movie is more metaphorical than literal. Um, each of these women in the story enters the shimmer to self-destruct, and at first this seems really sad, but ultimately they know what they're doing, and they chose, they choose to do it and go out on their own terms, especially like Josie, right? She recognizes that I think I'm probably going to die here. I may as well make the best of that situation. And so the, I think the well, fates I, of... I'm oh, sorry, but like, uh, does she die or does she take on a new form of life? Because she talked about wanting to... Am I jumping ahead of you? No, kind of, okay. but, but not exactly, right? That's what, that's what the definition of annihilation is, right? Here, let me play the, let me play the quote. Our bodies and our minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. Annihilation. <laughs> Pretty freaky. Um, but she, like, the idea of what. Like how much change until you become a different person? Oh, we'll talk about that more later when we talk about the ship of Theseus. But that is um, kind of a fundamental problem that we have in this movie is that the people that go in there, they change, but to the point where they don't even recognize themselves. And is that death? It seems like it kind of is. Is she becoming something else or is she is becoming something else that mean that you aren't who you were and therefore the old you is dead? 
Right. And I think that's a great philosophical question. I think that one of like kind of Josie's arc is the reason she was cutting herself was not to die, but so that she could feel life. And right. now she has life flowing through her, literal plants growing uh, out of her arms. And I think that in some weird way could be her answer to what she's been looking for is that now I am becoming life. Life flows out of me and I'm going to see where that goes. I'm going to let that happen. Um, and, and that maybe is satisfying for her. The existence so far sounded like it wasn't really uh, working out. So what, what if this, what about this new existence? And maybe right. she didn't read the fine print and get the <laughs> actual like contract that says, you know, your uh, mind and body will be fragmented into their smallest part until not one part remains but you can make the case that even in that situation you're becoming part of the greater whole and, and just becoming part of the shape. right either way though she's deciding to die you know right she's deciding that this is the way i want to go quote die yes well yeah the way that anyone might die though it's the same way that you would be dead right you don't recognize yourself fair enough yeah i'm you know, I'm like what that. is death you you is what you're trying to challenge me on <laughs> no no no. I, i'm i guess like somebody could die like that would be like their life finding a finite end point versus what yeah, i but, think but the might things happen inside in the of you aren't necessarily dead right maybe you have no more consciousness but you right. aren't just your consciousness you're made up of a whole bunch of stuff there's more stuff there's more stuff inside of you that is not you, then there is of stuff that is you. Um. <laughs> uh, like, okay, that, I know that's true, but do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, when you die, it's not necessarily you, like, okay, and maybe this is just the way I'm understanding death, but it's like you exiting the picture, like your consciousness ending and like the life that was you is over, even if the other life that was living with you is still there, versus this where it's a blend. You don't necessarily have a finite endpoint. You become part of the larger whole, which I think is distinct from death but maybe not i don't know i think we would call it the same thing ultimately because that person is no longer something that's like enacting its own um enacting its will upon the world in a way right i think it's something else i think it's more so kind of like how like josie just like she like almost like uploads her consciousness to the shimmer and just becomes a part of it now unfortunately she does die because the shimmer dies. That's but, a good point. <laughs> um, but she she chooses to become a part of this thing, and um and it I think it'd be the same thing as if like you could upload your consciousness into the cloud or whatever. Or if you get you, eaten by worms. What happens if you get eaten by worms? Uh, but, but okay, but if you're talking you about like, part the of the earth, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I I I don't know. I think. You're might you're being a little bit acute on your interpretation of death versus becoming part of the shimmer, but I also feel like there is something beautiful to be said about like the way that actual death and decomposition works. I don't know if we're gonna find a, a common ground here, uh, so I don't want to get caught up. I, uh, how about this? I agree with you that if there was like any way to go out in the shimmer, Josie probably picked the most peaceful way. Definitely right, and I like I like your interpretation of that, Benjamin, where you said that she starts she becomes life in a way. Her apathy, like her arc of having apathy, eventually leads to her being full of life. I feel like that's a really strong um, arc for her to go on. And like I said, like this is, this movie does such a good job with all of its characters, like really bringing them to life. And like uh, 
Shepard being killed by the bear, but like really the shimmer, you might say that's fate or nature that kills her. Uh, Anya goes insane. Uh, Josie accepts the shimmer and lets herself become a part of it, like you said. And Ventress seeking knowledge eventually becomes consumed by it. And then Lyda, uh, sorry, Lena fights it and eventually kills it. All of these are uh, all of these women, all their different stories all represent different ways of coping with pain and coping with death. Um, and because ultimately, even though these people are experts, their reasons for entering are simple to understand and inescapable. No matter how smart or talented you are, um, there's nothing we can do. These are things that happen to all of us. They are linked the way we are all linked uh, by our biology in our inevitable expiration date. But it's not just death that we have in common. Addiction, loss, sickness, apathy, and failure are all things we experience and understand. This movie doesn't make the statement, together we are stronger, or even united we will prevail. Instead, it says, this is a shared fight, and not everyone will make it. Okay, um, the next thing I have is I read this article from Collider that basically makes the argument that this movie is about cancer, um, which I think is a really interesting idea. And I don't want to read the whole thing, but I'll read this one quote for you where he says, what if the Earth, that is, the planet itself, got cancer? I don't know if this uh, really fits with everything. It's not, cancer's not a completely alien thing, right? As Alex Garland describes this alien. It's not an alien's alien. It is a um, very much something that we are aware of and something that we comprehend and deal with all the time. In fact, cancer is just part of us, right? It's not um, something external. Maybe radiation may cause it, but it's something that comes from within and then comes to fruition. Um, and it's really interesting that the, the way they like interpret cancer in this movie, because cancer shows up a bunch of times. Uh, Shepard's daughter, for example, dies of leukemia, which is blood cancer. Um, and Ventress obviously has cancer. There's uh, like the lighthouse itself. Something to mention in the article is that it has a kind of a tumor where the uh, impact happened and all of that kind of like natural stuff that happens inside of it is all kind of uh, tumorish, you might say. It all looks so natural. Um, and everything that's in the, uh, uh, the environment too, it's, right, it's, it's kind of tumorish, you might say. It's like kind of expanding outward, constantly uh, dividing and creating. And nothing's ever really dying, you might say. Well, yeah, and and then I think Anthony said it earlier that it, this kind of uh, everything that happens in the Shimmer is inherently malignant. Where because you could have yes. the alternate version of the Shimmer where everything is good. It's like I suddenly have bear claws and I'm eight feet tall, right? And all my organs still work. I can still speak English, and now I have a future in the NBA. Like I, I have. Good the things happen came from it, dude. Okay, you would pop basketballs with bear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could just like get a tech and take out their best player. You just have you just have a really good uh, nail filing, yes, like, consultant. Right, right. Or maybe that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Maybe like, they're retractable because that's how like, well, good. Right. Yeah, because that's how good the shimmer is, right? But no, there this this version of the shimmer is so. Uh, Ma malignant and and things that this kind of mutation while it can have beautiful results is going to be uh you know bad for the for everyone who takes part in it like look at yeah. that bear's face you know that's horrifying um so which actually real quick just touching on some of the horrifying moments in this movie we mentioned the bear scene and the uh cutting open scene that gave me like big 
um, like girls bathroom versus boys bathroom vibes where like a girl's bathroom is just like normal like stalls and there's like motivational things maybe like a, a nice picture of a plant or something on the wall and in the boys bathroom they're like cutting open one of their stomachs and opening it and it's all like way oh my god in there. Yeah. <laughs> like this is what the men devolve into yeah it's like the uh like the the cup that exists on the end of the boys lunch table where it has like everyone's <laughs> leftovers scrunched yeah. into the bottom yeah that's what i'm talking about so anyways sorry to bring it back to this cancer thing i think that this is actually one of the takes i heard the earliest after i finished watching this movie and i think it's a it's apt because of all the reasons we said but i yeah i agree with your your take that it doesn't take in the full uh scope of this movie Right. Again, it is something that clearly comes from space, right? It doesn't just naturally evolve from the earth, which I guess kind of is, again, like kind of a cancer metaphor, because again, like radiation or other factors can factor into cancer. But it's also possible that you can just develop it. Uh, it just kind of happens and it's, it can be very common. Ooh. And there's something else they point out in the article is that breast cancer is the most common form of cancer and that our team of women, it's likely like one in three women. Uh, develop branch cancer in their in their lifetime. So again, like having it be all women sort of uh, uh, reinforces that um, motif. Right. And I think that what you were saying, like it kind of just happens because they didn't, this movie does not give a firm explanation. Like, yeah, it's a meteor, but what even is that, right? Like where did yeah. it come from? I think that you could line that up with like, it kind of just happens. Um, like the movie at least gives it that explanation. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but again, like, Cancer is such a good metaphor that they use over and over again because of its creation. It's like, it seems like at first, if you just describe it, it's like, it's just dividing cells, but it's the uncontrolled dividing of cells. It's uh, cells that are dividing and never dying or cells that are dividing like crazy, um, which is kind of basically what the, uh, the shimmer is doing is it's causing cells to mutate and, and divide and create uh, over and over and over again so quickly that nothing can adapt to it and it eventually annihilates everything. All right. Well, I think that is a good enough place to take a break, um, but don't go anywhere. When we return, we will be going over our cool Easter eggs and our quotable moments. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Amos Schwarzenegger. This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. This is Squilliam Fancy Son from Band Class. And you're listening to Affable Chat. My favorite podcast. Good day. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Danny Zuko from Greek. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we're back with sci-fi aficionado Anthony. We're going to pick things up where we left off with our cool Easter eggs. Anthony, what do you got? Um, the tattoo on Lena at the end of the movie is an Ouroboros tattoo which is a snake in the shape of an infinity sign. However, the snake is eating itself, uh, representing the self-destruction of not only Lena, but the other characters, uh, and one of the overarching themes of this movie. Um, I want me to blow your mind with this one? Yes, please do. 
Okay, so she doesn't have the tattoo at the beginning of the movie. Oh, no, she doesn't. And uh, who does have the tattoo is Anya. Um, she has the Ooh. tattoo early. Huh? She actually doesn't. Can she I blow doesn't? your mind? Can I blow your mind? I thought she, I thought she had it at the, uh, um, like at the, the table or something. Okay, I I if, something. She, if she does, then she shares a tattoo with the dude they cut open. That's right, because um, he's on the he's like pasted to the wall. He's pasted to the wall, and he has an Ouroboros tattoo. As right, well. I did. So I actually went back and tried to find where Lena gets the tattoo, uh-huh. and it took me a couple of like minutes, and then I realized that it was actually pretty obvious. And here's the first quote: "This is when she's talking to the um, talking to Wong, like in the uh, after the events of the the rest of the movie." Corruptions of form, duplicates of form. Duplicates. And then she looks down at her arm and says, Echoes. And then literally a minute later, she's in the boat with Shepard and she gets that's, a bruise. Yeah. You hurt? It's just a bruise. It's, it's exactly where the where it, where it starts. So it's... um. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice it at first, and then I like looking back. I was trying to look at her forearms, but of course, like sometimes she's wearing sleeves, and sometimes it's hard to tell. It's kind of dark, uh, but it's this moment when she starts to suddenly get the tattoo uh, on her arm. And I didn't know about Anya. I thought she had it before, but no, it makes sense that she she may have even grabbed it from the guy um, who was pasted to the wall, whose stomach got cut open, um, and. It kind. It also ties into. This is something that Folding Ideas talks about in his video about annihilation. He talks about how that links Anya to the guy that cut open because she's the one that ties everybody up and says, "Are you guys going to cut me open? If you cut me open, will my insides start moving?" Um, that's the thing that she's most afraid of is that they'll turn on each other, uh, which ultimately becomes the thing that she does as well. Yeah. So uh, that symbol sort of becomes that arch overarching theme and then she and then of course lena carries that with her um into the future uh on her arm it's a cool tattoo very cool yeah. very cool um another one i have is that so this movie is based on a book i don't know if you guys know this um and the protagonist in the film lena's character is actually only known as the biologist and that's how all the characters are referenced is just as like what they are like um ventress is the psychologist um and throughout the book lena right so the the biologist is known for lying to the reader throughout the film um and alex garland does a great job of portraying that throughout the movie because even when lena's tied up by um anya she's like we know that lena is a liar she lies to she lied to us about her connection to kane and um and you know, I, I, this goes back to what I was saying before is that it's all the whole movie is a portrayal of of Lena to us. And is she lying to Wong about what happened? Is she still lying to us at the end? Like, how do you know that the memories that she's portraying are the aliens like portrayal? Right. right. Like, how do you how do you know for certain that that's yeah, Lena? It's not even if she's lying is if she can if she can be relied on to, right. to tell the truth. That's a great point. That's interesting. Yeah, but that, those are my uh, Easter eggs. Those two. Okay, so um, I found this one, uh, I believe, just on the IMDb trivia. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, so prior to the release of this film, uh, it grew 
it drew criticism for the casting of Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee as characters who, like in the books you're referring to, uh, Anthony, in later books, not the first one, uh, they're described as Asian and half Native American, respectively. And Garland, the director, Alex Garland, stated that none of the five female characters' ethnicity is mentioned in the first book, uh, which was only the one there was the only one that was published uh, when the script was completed, which was inspired by this book. Um, and he cast the characters based on his reaction only to the characters that he met in the casting process or actors he had worked with before, obviously, as he likes to do, um, which I thought was like a interesting bit of backlash to have to work with because he did this movie in the same way that like my science teacher taught me how to like write research papers, which was like read it, but then like try to put it in your own words without looking at it so that you don't yes. get so influenced by what you're reading that you just plagiarize it. Uh, but this came back to bite him kind of, I think it's a totally excusable thing to do. Um, but uh, you know, if, if he didn't continue to read the other books as they came out, even though they came out before the movie, well, he didn't even reread the mo- the book for the movie. There, I think it's in um, that, uh, License from a screenplay video. They talk about how he didn't reread the book. He purposely wrote the movie or like structured the movie based on what he could remember about the book in order to re- more like fully reinforce this idea of unreliable memory. Which you can argue is probably just him being lazy, not wanting to read the book again. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I don't know. This criticism doesn't really hold water because he's only doing it off of the memory of a book that he had read previously which i guess it came out only a couple of years beforehand so it's possible that it was still pretty fresh in his mind but it's still like um well the book he was remembering yeah. didn't even dis- distinguish right. that's right <laughs> so yeah i don't know i thought it was a pretty silly like uh, uh thing that happened okay so i got i got a couple of them so in the movie annihilation this is actually from um uh, the movie details subreddit somebody named Gizmo F-E-G-E-F-G. Thank you, Gizmo, for submitting this to Movie Details, and I'm stealing it for the podcast. So there's actually a a sign for Fort Amaya, and this is the same name uh, used for the company um, in the FX series Devs, which are in both of these are written by Alex Garland. Um, So there's a little tie-in from his other, uh, other property. It's kind of cool. Have have any of you seen Devs? I have. I've heard it's boring. I've heard that um, I need to watch it because I do software development. So mm. the you other, don't need to see it. It so, is it was cool originally, but okay. Originally, okay. what now it sucks. I I thought it was like interesting at first, and then it okay it filters filters out. Okay. Um, another one is uh, Lena is reading the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks in one of the flashbacks when she's sitting on the couch with, uh, with Kane. And this is a fascinating book. This is about this woman whose cells were taken. I think they were actually taken without her knowledge and then used in sci- are used in scientific research all over the world to this day. They're constantly being like renewed like created like they're they'll constantly simulate them to make new cells and they'll mutate them into whatever they want they're basically the like standard cells that you get if you want to test human cells uh, like we want to test something on human cells you can like buy these or whatever and it all comes from this one woman uh, uh henrietta Lacks. so wow. it's a really interesting story um and yeah, it's cool that she's reading it in the in this because it's cells and immortality are all themes in yeah. this book so 
Um, okay, I got a really long one here, and I, I absolutely love this. This is absolutely fascinating. So Jeff Barrow and composer Ben Salisbury were the direct, like the art direct, not the art directors, the music composers for this movie. Um, and they actually had a lot of say in the narrative elements of the film. Um, there was actually a five-part team. There were two of them, three other guys, or two other guys, and then Alex himself. So they actually... Uh, worked together to make this film. So the music was a big part of the script before the movie was even made. Um, and here's a quote from an interview with Rolling Stone that they did. Uh, Most sci-fi films start now with huge orchestral armies of synth and sound design. And this was a bit of a human story, so it was really important to just give it a sense of reality rather than going into Marvel synth worlds. It had to get somewhere. We knew that the film had to go from um, suburbia to psychedelic insanity. You have to get there, but you can't get there by front-loading it all in the score. Another film I recently caught, once they did the big thing 10 minutes in, it was like, man, where are we going from there? And to be honest, they didn't go anywhere. By the end of it, the synths were screaming so hard, like, like they were trying to wring something else out of it because they had already done it in the first 10 minutes of the film. And they actually got away, uh, tried to get away from the synths altogether in order to really sound unique. And here's another quote. Actually, we wanted to stay away from synths in the whole film. We really were not interested in in it at all. For the early part of the film, all the weird noises are all water phone. It's a hippie kind of Californian weird instrument that you pour water into, but they were used a lot in the 70s as sound effects. And I actually have a video of a water phone. I'm going to play for you guys for just a second. It's absolutely freaky. This is a, like, this is not a synthesizer. This is a, an instrument. And it's, right now he's playing it with a violin bow. And what it looks like, I, I encourage you to look up uh, Waterphone on your own to see what it looks like. It's very unique looking. It's like a disc that has a bunch of poles sticking out of it of various lengths. And the different lengths obviously play different notes. Right now, yeah, he's playing it with a violin bow. He's just like swooping around. The little kind of bit of you're kind of hearing in the like kind of subtly is him tilting it because there's water in the bass. Wow. <laughs> Here, I just skip ahead a little bit. This is him touching with his hand. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> now he has a mallet. He just strummed the mallet across the bottom of the thing and made wow. that noise. <laughs> and now he's hitting it with a tongue depressor here. Yeah, it's really freaky. So, um,. The, there was actually, this was actually used in the 70s for a Dirty Harry movie. Um, and it's been used as sound effects for a long time, but they actually wanted to use it for like actual score. They call it a steel, opti uh, steel octopus um, because it's not turnable. It, it would never produce perfect results. It always wobbled and it was weird. So it was perfect for the shimmer. Um, and then they go on to say, we got through this whole portion of the film without synths. So for the lighthouse scene, now we just need to hit people in the chops a little bit. As we hadn't used electronics, it seemed like the right time for it. There's this four note motif that people are going on about, this alien sound. And I don't know if people noticed, but the seeds of that had been sown throughout the film in a harmonic way. It's in our guitar pieces. It's all simple stuff. Those four notes come in as harmonic bed with the water phone and strings. We're massively into themes. The idea of properly using themes, that really does it for us. 
That four-note theme was much bigger in the original, original, original version of the film, but Alex wanted to save it for the climax. N now, when you watch the film, you get the impact of that moment. The shimmer, there was this talk about getting this balance between beauty and fear. They're terrified and entranced by it. There was never going to be guns a-blazing part of the film. And then uh, uh, in the end of the interview, Barrow talks about seeing premiere of the film, and he says this, I went to the L.A. premiere, and he needed, a st he needed a stiff drink after it. The after party was a real damp squid. Everyone was just staring around uh, <laughs> at each other in disbelief. That's funny. Do we yeah. have the sound that they're referring to? At the very end? Um, I do. Yeah, so, it, it's so alien and bizarre, but it also, it just f almost seems familiar. I, I'm wondering if they, do they use this in the uh, Annihilation trailers? I think um, they might have. I've, I've heard it used in like memes and stuff too. It's okay. very distinct. Well, there is a, um, there is a TikTok sound on here. Oh, really? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I meant to put it on as a quote, but um. A hundred percent. There's there's a TikTok sound. Well, of that music. Like it's not that. that it's not that one. It's actually like after that. It's more part of like when she's facing off against the alien. Yeah. Um. Um. Could we play that's that? The, I don't have that one, but oh, okay. I could. I could probably get it for you. Um. That one's a lot more asymmetric, and it, that's that's what really stands out to me. Whenever I think yeah. about the score from this movie, I think about that scene where they're fighting. Uh, or they're mimicking each other, or dancing together. You might yes, say. yes. Well, and and just especially that scene, but it kind of has that same feel of uh, just larger than life sci-fi noise. Like it kind of reminds me of yeah. like the uh, what was it? Was it Inception or like the? Blah, yeah, Inception yeah. started that. Where <laughs> it became overused. Yeah, exactly. Which it has become overused. But originally, when you first experience that, you're like, oh my goodness, and and they're able to get the essence of that feeling through their oh, yeah. own unique sound. Well, what's so amazing, and I, we haven't talked about this yet, but the end of the movie where Lena is facing off with her mirror is amazing. There's no dialogue, right? It's just like 10 or 15 minutes of her just in the room kind of dancing with it. The choreography, the choreography was done by Bobby Jean Smith, who worked with um, Oscar Isaac in the past. And so they, uh, they brought in like a dancer to do wait, this. Wait, he worked with Oscar Isaac's choreography in Ex Machina? Is that what No. The no, part no. where he's dancing with... with <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like, but no, it's... <laughs> she um, she worked with dancing. him on something, some other weird art project or something. They knew okay. each other from school or something. Okay. Um, 
yeah, in this, I love that scene. It's so beautiful watching them like kind of move together, and it you can feel like Lena's hesitation in the way that she's trying to move. It feels like she's trying to get out, but the other thing mimicking her makes it into a dance. Um, and the it's just constantly kind of flowing a little bit. It's like a, it's a little bit too perfect, but it still like has this really clear message without ever really necessarily explaining what's happening or like having some big like revelation about here's what's happening in the story or whatever. Or like I have this clever move I'm gonna do. It's way more just like feeling. Um, and it's so powerful. And the music just such such a good job of conveying that. Well, just yeah. go, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was I was gonna say, Joey. I like I loved all that stuff you said about the music, like especially because they don't like it makes it makes the music at the end at the climax way more uh, of of an experience than than maybe in some other movies where they you know they do the Avengers theme right at the beginning of the movie, right? You know, like um, it 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 makes it that build up to to what the end of the movie actually is. That's what makes great film is all of those pieces coming together. Great yeah. acting, great story, great music, all of that. Um, and it doesn't always work. You know, sometimes one overshadows the other. And this one, I think it works really well. Going off of just the music, um, and this has been more heavily present in my mind because Anthony sent it to me on Spotify earlier this week, but the song hopelessly hoping by crosby stills and nash uh also is a recurring it's a leap motif in this film um, that's right and it's an excellent song an instant addition to my <laughs> liked on spotify um and also it fits well within this movie as far as the actual lyrics and, and what they're discussing in the song so, so. i'm going to play i have that i have a short clip of that do you want to play that yes please It's, it's a really good song. It's really beautiful, but also a little bit haunting. Um, yeah. And then they have that chorus where they are one person, uh, they are two alone, they are three together, and they are for each other. Uh, so I, I think you it's, it's so pretty different. literal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was fu- it was so different from what we were just discussing. This like composing they did for this film, but also just an excellent choice uh, of a song to have recurring throughout this film. Well, even even like when they harmonize with each other, right? It's like it, it is the culmination of the end of the movie, where yeah. like it's these three different things coming to one and being something different when they're all together. Yeah, it's this great. idea, and then, exactly, and then how literal it is at first like that that very specific line of like stand by the stairway you'll see something right um, right starting yeah. to tell you confusion has its cost because he's like literally doesn't know what's going on and he's standing at the stairway yeah no it's it's i gotta think i think they wrote this movie with the soundtrack in mind right they yeah. knew exactly what it they're seems going to like do. it yeah which is cool, but also kind of funny. I mean, they're really hitting you on the head with this. Like, hey, listen to the lyrics, man. This, this is important. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
Oh, yeah, I, I like the idea. And that's something else that we didn't expand on is this um, idea of like what a relationship is and if you are transformed by a relationship. Um, so, yeah, again, take that and run with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but okay, let's move on to our quotable moments. And I believe Anthony is the first one. What did it want? I don't think it wanted anything. But it, it attacked you. It mirrored me. I attacked it. I'm not sure it even knew I was there. It came here for a reason. It was mutating our environment. It was destroying everything. It wasn't destroying. It was changing everything. It was making something new. Making what? I don't know. Yeah, so this is this is that the quote at the end where it's just like, you know, she's being interrogated it's the final form it's actually the final interrogation line um and i mean it's cool like she's just at this point she's been changed and she is where kane was when he came home did she didn't have the answers to anything she she doesn't know kind of what's become of herself and um and it and it does it does reinforce that like alien alien right like mm-hmm. like no one has an answer for why this happened it just did it's this is this force of nature that happened yeah i mean that's the thing is like she didn't come out with any good answers you know and i think that's purposeful i think you're supposed to fill in those gaps for her but they do kind of again hit that say like there's one way to interpret this which is you know it was mimicking me it wasn't fighting me and it didn't seem to have any desire beyond just continuing to do what it was doing it wasn't something like uh with a purpose necessarily which is again another thing that we that this movie touches on is like is like religion and like uh kind of fate in a way um and uh, when benedict wong here says uh it had to have a purpose it was doing it had to be doing something for some reason um he clearly doesn't understand like he wasn't there he it doesn't uh doesn't seem like it wanted anything um, yeah that's and, a and- that's and that's cool. that whole like uh like humans have agendas they have right. things that they want accomplished right. and being a human wong can't see past that he only sees that well, there has to be a reason for something and but right there wasn't. so she better understands even though she says she doesn't really know why it is she better understands it as a part of being part of it yeah well even saying that you like just accepting that she doesn't know is more understanding than wong saying no there's something has to be this way that's a good point. What about the next one? You aren't Kane. Are you? I don't think so. Are you Lena? Oh, I, I love this so much because, like, I just wonder what Lena is realizing when she's asked that question. Like, mm. are you Lena? Like, like, I wonder if her memories are, like, flooding back into her at this moment and she's, like, realizing who she is or if 
she can't remember, so she thinks that she too is alien because she knows that he's alien, right? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just, it's great. I love it. No, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. It's possible she didn't even consider it until he, he asked her that. Um, that's, it's crazy. <laughs> I love that she doesn't really answer the question either, you know, because she doesn't, it's not a yes or no sort of situation. And um, it's way more, I mean, again, it's way more up to what you believe about a, like what happens to a person as they change. Yeah. And, and then for context, a- after the gasp, they like embrace each other for the first time uh, since he left her. Mm-hmm. And, and when they do, that's when you see like his eyes change in color and then her eyes change in color. So it's like, is it Lena? Is it an alien? Like, yeah. Is she right? Obviously, she's something new, but is it, you know, what what, what could it be? Right, and I, I think it's extra ambiguous again because the shimmer is now gone, and that clearly did something to Kane to make him able to be more, at least, uh, his health more stable. But uh, yeah, so we really don't know. We we don't know what post shimmer shimmer effects are. So uh, yeah, it really is just up for interpretation. <laughs> shimmer effects. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our quotes. Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. Um, so this ties directly into what we were just talking about. And I want to talk about the ship of Theseus for, for, for a moment. And maybe you guys have some good answers for this age-old psych, uh, philosophical question. So in the metaphysics of identity, the ship of Theseus is a thought experiment that raises the question of whether an object that has had all of its components replaced remains fundamentally the same object. The concept is one of the oldest in Western philosophy, having been discussed by uh, Heracles or Heraclitus, Plutus, I can't say his name, and Plato uh, from 500 to 400 BC. I'm not even going to try. Um, so there's two <laughs> parts of this thought experiment. It, the first part is, what if you replace all the old parts with the new ones? The classic example is the ship, right? You have a ship, it comes into port, there's a part that's missing, you know, a couple boards are, are rotted or something. You take those boards out, you put new boards in, and, you know, clearly it's the same ship because, you know, it's, the, it's mostly still the same ship. But if you were to do that over and over again, you know, maybe it gets caught in a storm and, you know, the mask is broken or a bunch of it gets broken and you replace all of those parts, eventually you par- replace every part in the ship is it still the same ship? And the question is, uh, raise another section or another part of it is, what if all those pieces that you took away from the old ship, you were somehow able to save them and then rebuild the, sh- the original ship using the original parts? Uh, would you now have two ships? Or was one ship more the original ship and the other one not as much the, the real ship? So, um, but you know, let you kind of stew on that. Obviously, there's not really an answer to this, right? No one's been able to figure this out. There's a lot of different interpretations. Um, some of the ones I like to think about uh, are like, what about a river, right? You know, you look at a river, the pieces of the river, meaning like the water in the river, which you would define as the river, are never the same. You look at it a second, one second, you turn away, you look back, it's a completely different river because there's a completely <laughs> much different water in it. Um, this like idea of like, you can't step in the same river twice because you aren't the same, but neither is the river. Uh, both of those things change constantly. Um, 
So the one solution that I, I saw on Wikipedia was this guy named Ted Sider. He comes up with this fourth dimensional solution, which of course caught my attention immediately. If you think of time as a fourth dimension, then each third dimensional slice is completely unique, but they're all linked through the fourth dimension. Um, so you can see the link from the past to the present. So for example, if you were to, you know, if you lost a finger, for example, if you were to go back a minute before you had lost that finger, you would see that you were still the same person that you were uh, before you had the finger. So you can link yourself from the past to the present. And that's how you, you know, kind of solve this problem. There's actually a whole branch of philosophy called Perdunanism. Per, sorry, Perdun. No, that's not even right. Perdurantism, Perdunanism, uh, which is currently which this current time slice of joey cannot quite grasp <laughs> so uh, i'm not gonna be able to expand on that for any further but you can barely even say it um so here's another great example these are a list of bands that have no founding members left in their group uh yes blackfoot blood sweat and tears thin lizzie and rat all of these all these bands are still around or at least were around uh, for a while, and all of their founding members were eventually replaced by other people. Um, so are they the same band, even? So um, another great example is the human body. Uh, this our human body recycles its cells every seven to 10 years, uh, which I've heard is a uh, excuse for you to try the foods that you don't like every seven years. Uh, because your taste buds are different. And so if there's a food that you don't like the taste of, wait seven years and maybe you'll like it again. Um, kind of interesting. Anyway, um, all of these are great examples of how the different pieces are slowly repla are replacing like a whole, sorry, are slowly replacing a whole, but then suddenly become like uh, are still part of that original piece. You get subsumed into the original piece. So in relation to annihilation, um, we have two examples, depending on reading the film. Kane, who is a copy, retaining some of the original Kane's memories. And then Lena, who's only, who only pieces of have been replaced. But as Anthony just pointed out, because both their eyes are changing and stuff, it seems that both of them have sort of become equal. Some, both of them have changed in some fundamental way. So um, kind of brings it to, you know, what is, is Kane that's with them really the same Kane? I mean, you see two canes at one point. One of them blows the other one up. You see, it seems like the, the, the one that's exit the shimmer is definitely shimmer cane. You know, uh, you might say fane, fake cane. Um, but <laughs> you might. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> you could say that. You probably wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but um, he still has some of the same memories. He still looks like Kane, right? Lena recognizes him as Kane. Does that, is that enough to make him Kane? Any, any thoughts? Well, I think that looking at it that way, you could easily be like, no, he's not Kane. But at like, what point do you stop being? Well, because you're like, I, I know there's a duplicate and I know that at one point the real Kane is still there with the duplicate in front of him. So I'm going to say that the original is still the real Kane and the other one's the duplicate, right? But it's like, at what point do you stop being the same person and become a new person? Like this is right. exactly Ship of Theseus where it's like, I was this person, but now this many of my cells have been replaced. So now am I a new person uh, or, or am I going to be, when does that stop happening and, and become a new, um, like it's, it's a, I feel like it's much more compelling to ask that question about Lena because when does lena she clearly changes in the shimmer but is she truly a new person when she comes out how much of her is still lena and has enough of her changed for you to consider her a new person my take on the ship of theseus is kind of based on wandavision but 
they're both the ship of Theseus, right? They're, they mm. are now both in existence, and they both are the ship of Theseus. They're, it's neither one is better than the other. Um, my take with Annihilation is that um, I, I think that they... This is all founded in the idea that I think that the memories are refracted. Um, I think that they are actually almost the same person. Um, they are each other at this point. Um, and they can see each other's thoughts because they share them. They now share the same experiences. They, they can see each other's pasts. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that they can see the future, but, you know, they, they can probably see themselves together again. Right. And I really, I really do think that um, Helplessly Hoping really does kind of sum it all up by saying, like, they are one person, you know, they were two alone. They're three together because they, they have multiple memories, sw like, swimming inside each of them. And now they are, like, for each other because like, they can now coexist. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. I think that does sum it up pretty well. But, like, again, like, Lena... Like some of it, some of Lena's the problem with Lena is that not all of her has been replaced, right? Only parts of it have been replaced. But is, so, is she still the same Lena? It seems the obvious should be obvious answer should be yes. I think I'm a ship of Theseus purist, and I think as soon as you make one alteration, it's no longer the ship of Theseus. It's Single a drop new, of blood. Yeah, it's a new. It's so, a, yeah, it's a new so, ship. So, like, what if what if you? Uh, <laughs> Well, so like, I'm taking like, it to I'm, the extreme. I'm yeah. saying that it can only be the ship of the, Theseus no in way its that's current go wrong. state, and then anything else is. There a are derivation. no revocations for that conclusion. So, so the same thing. You are a new person now. You are a new person now than you were at the beginning of this sentence because I changed you by having you listen mm. to what I was saying. Right? That's like you can take it as as microscopic and incremental as you want. You're constantly changing. You're never the same person. You're always a new person. Yeah, but there's a practical problem with this, right? And I mean, this is why this question is kind of fun, but also ultimately kind of silly, mm -hmm. is that it's like, well, you know, we'll just call the whatever ship that Theseus owns the ship of Theseus, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever he decides is going to be, okay. it's going to be. So it's, it's, but it's just kind of a fun idea. And Noam Chomsky talks about how this is like a, uh, this is more of a question about human beings and our brain, our psychology, than it is about physical things, uh, about the way that we interpret the world. Um, anyway, Anthony, do you have anything? I thought no, you had something going. to say. No, no, no. Keep going. Okay. Um, so a couple of other ones that I think are interesting about this, there's uh, Shepard, um, and she says, which the quote that we already played, but I'm going to play it again right here. In a way, it's two bereavements. My beautiful girl. And the person I once was. Hey, hey. So, and as we mentioned earlier, Shepard has some thinks of herself as being changed, but her physical nature has not changed at all, right? It's a psychic change. It's an emotional change. Um, but she feels as if she has left her old self in the past, and that she has become a completely different person. So, in that regard, right? I feel like you can make the argument pretty obviously that Lena is completely different because her perspective has changed completely. And because her mind has been completely altered, um, even though her body hasn't been completely altered, by Shepard's logic, she is a different person. Um, and then there's, of course, um, Ventress, and, and, and she says this. If I don't reach the lighthouse soon, 
the person that started this journey won't be the person that ends it. I want to be the one that ends it. This is in relation to her saying that the shimmer has fundamentally changed all of us and is disintegrating us, both our bodies and our minds. And she feels it so um, fully. Of course, she's got a ticking clock inside of her, which is in form of her cancer. But this is um, motivating her to be like, I need to keep being me for as long as possible for this thing fundamentally changes to be to the point where I'm no longer recognizable. So again, like she feels as if being in the shimmer at all has fundamentally changed her. And uh, she's barely hanging on to Ventress that entered uh, as opposed to Ventress that might exit. All right, that's all I got. Uh, any other well, thoughts? One thing I, I always like to bring up whenever we talk about the ship of Theseus is this article from thehardtimes.net. And in case you've never heard of the hard times, they're essentially a video game centric version of The Onion. And they had this headline, which I'll read to you now. Uh, so there's this video game called Sea of Thieves. We've played it on the Affable Chat stream before. It's basically a pirate simulator. You play as a pirate, you sail around, do pirate stuff. Okay, that's just that's all the preface you need but here's the headline from the hardtimes.net they say ship of theseus dlc changes so much about sea of thieves that it might not even be the same game anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's good which is I love yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really uh you can only like that joke only really works about a pirate video game and sea exactly of it's perfect <laughs> is the game <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to fire. very funny. So um, so there you go. Very good. Uh, with the sea, the ship of Theseus. The sea of Theseus. Um, in the sea of Thieves, yeah. Um, okay. That's going to conclude our conversation on Annihilation. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will deliver our ratings, and we will allow our guests to go first. So, Anthony, what rating do you want to give Thank to you. Annihilation? I give Annihilation... A five out of five. But the out of five is a duplicate five that doesn't know it's a duplicate five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Incredible. my goodness. Oh, that's fun. Um, I give this movie a mutant bear, but when it roars, it plays this episode of the Apple Chat podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. That's horrifying. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, They've yeah. been sitting there for so long. <laughs> just, yeah, just as mouth open just, <laughs> for two hours. What about you, Joey? What rating do you give Annihilation? I give this movie one of those memes where the guy's brain grows outside of his body and becomes something he can sit on and ride because it's so big. <laughs> oh, oh fantastic. Um, okay, well... That's going to bring us to the end of our episode. Anthony, our sci-fi aficionado, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you. Uh, I would like to plug one last thing. Go ahead. I know that I, that, uh, or maybe, well, maybe we'll make it two things. Um, so just harping on the whole music thing, um, I've been totally entranced by this film. I, I love the soundtrack. I love everything about it. I made my own spotify playlist that kind of mimics my own take on it on this film um and i if you've seen this movie i highly recommend it um maybe we can i don't know, plug it somewhere it'll be in the description uh, yes it, okay, cool it'll be in the description check it out it's it's i, I like it i spent a lot of time like kind of crafting it so it's a, like an in-order thing you've listened to it front to finish all that good stuff um second plug affable chat 
Tuesday night. Oh my god. <laughs> Tuesday night. I can't believe check he's it done out. it. Yes, She's we're live it. on Twitch on Tuesday nights. Thank you for that, Anthony. Yeah. And yes. yes, check out Anthony's playlist. He's good at crafting these playlists. It'll be in the description of this episode. Um, but that's going to do it for our conversation on Annihilation. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Uh, we're next for doing Kubo and the Two Strings with the Super Bracket Brothers. That's right. We both the... guested on their podcast, and here they are joining us on ours. Another guest on Affable Chat, or two guests on the Affable Brothers Chat. Super Bracket. You might yes, say. yes, <laughs> that's their that's their family <laughs> name, uh, but. Uh, that is going to be our next episode for now if you enjoyed this episode you can subscribe to us on Spotify iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and if you like this podcast tell your friends all you have to say is have you considered listening to Affable Chat you can reach us on Twitter Instagram and TikTok at Affable Chat on all three or send us an email affablechat at gmail.com we also have a YouTube channel where there are videos of us that's yep. That's what they've got on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, on Twitch, they have live streams, and you can catch Apple Chat live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.